Hello, and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 71. I'm Kip Clark, and today joining me in the studio, we have another guest, Yara Ferriman. Hello. And so, Yara, today we're going to be talking about the infamous question that many adults and others ask seniors in college, what are your plans for next year? My first question to you is, where or from whom do you think you hear that question most often in your life? Honestly, I don't think there's anyone who I hear it from most often. It's probably basically every single person I run into, whether it be at home or even at school. Like when you run into an old friend who you haven't seen in a while, the standard question is, oh my gosh, you're a senior. What are you doing next year? And then when you're at home, it's the parents of your high school friends or just random adults you know or kids your age. And even though everyone at our age kind of dislikes that question, I feel like everyone asks it anyway. Like, oh, so like, what are you doing next year? year? What are you really doing next year? And yeah, so I don't think that there's anyone who I hear it from the most. The people I hear it from the least, though, are probably my parents, which I'm extremely thankful for because I think they've realized how much I dislike it when I get asked that and how much pressure it kind of puts on me and other people who are in similar positions to us where we might not exactly know what we're doing in the next couple of years. I agree with you that there is a lot of uncertainty following our postgraduate lives and experiences. And I want to know, as mundane or obvious as it might sound, sound, what specifically makes you uncomfortable? Because I probably have a similar experience when you're faced with that question. What are your thoughts or emotions after hearing those words? Well, to be honest, for me, what it is linked to directly is the fact that my major is very unspecific. So at my school, a lot of the people are business majors or communications majors where throughout their college experience, they've had internships where it kind of prepares them for exactly what they're going to do. But I'm a general health science major. So I'm a general major within the School of Health Science, not nursing or OT because my school has specific programs for those occupations. And when you graduate, you have a degree and you can begin to practice if you pass all of the exams, of course. But for me, my degree kind of just sets me up for whatever grad school I want to end up doing. So if I want to end up going to medical school, dental school, PA school, vet school, whatever, but it's not as set in stone for me what I'm going to be doing afterwards. So I feel like the majority of my friends kind of have at least a pathway that they're going along, even if they still have a few more years of grad school before they become a PA, for example. They still have three more years to go through, but they know that at the end of that three years, that's what they're going to be doing. And then for the people who are business, they know like, okay, maybe I'm going to have a year where I'm doing nothing, but I'm applying to jobs. I have all the criteria, whatever. So for me, it's honestly just the fact that I don't exactly know specifically what I want to do. So I kind of have to make that decision and then go from there. After listening to a lot of that, a number of thoughts come up for me, one of which being that it almost seems like an unnatural question because we're expected to have an answer and a clear path. And even for those, let's say, going to medical or business school after college, life is perpetually uncertain. And if you think you have it all figured out at age 22, 42, or 82, I would say you're wrong. There's never really any solid ground to stand on in terms of knowing who you are if you're not constantly changing or at least growing, or however you want to phrase it, then I think you are doing something wrong, or at least you aren't allowing yourself to engage with your potential as a human and adapt as a person. And I think that question might be really uncomfortable because it asks us to be something we are not, which is certain of our path or our future, when I would contend that's largely 
obviously impossible. You know what your dreams and goals are, but we can't foresee all the obstacles in our way. And I also find it unfortunate that we open those conversations with a question rather than a statement which says, I am uncertain about my future and I'm okay with that. Or in the event that that's not true, I'm not okay with the uncertainty and I don't want to discuss it. But the question in a conversational sense gives a lot of power to those asking it because they've thrown out that question and you are therefore tasked with the responsibility to answer it. And I wish people our age had more agency in those conversations to say, it is my life that you're asking about. And that is the most important thing to me because it is the vehicle through which I do everything. And I don't want to talk about how powerless I anticipate feeling or how powerless I currently am when the job I want isn't available, or I'm not qualified to take on the job I want, or any number of things that get people like us or people our age feeling anxious, and I think reasonably so, because it is a period of great change, but I definitely empathize with how you're feeling. I also think, though, that it's a bit hypocritical in a lot of ways because the majority of people, after they ask you, what are your plans for next year? And you come up with whatever response you're going to give. They sometimes say if they sense that you are iffy and you're kind of stumbling over your words and you don't know what to say to them. A lot of adults will respond with, oh, well, you have so much time to figure it out. And if that's the response, then why would you ask that question in the first place? Why would you say, what are you going to do if you're just going to tell me, oh, well, if you decide you want to do something else, you have so much time, you're so young. It's kind of hypocritical. An interesting point that my mother actually brought up to me when I mentioned how obnoxious it was when every single person I ran into in town would ask me what my plans for next year are. She said to me, well, what do you expect them to say? What other question do you want them to ask? It's not like they know what is going on in your life, especially if they're a vague acquaintance or someone who you knew a little better when you were in town and now you're running into them later. What else do you expect them to ask? So my question to you, I guess, is what else should they be asking? Well, I'm going to flip it a bit. I find it intriguing that you and your mom are discussing what people should ask. I would contend people in those situations, whether they are vague acquaintances or authority figures, should tell instead of asking because a question can be a very cornering object or tool in a conversation. And if someone were to offer advice or simply tell me when I got out of college, this is what I did or these are obstacles I dealt with, then I wouldn't feel cornered because advice and statements don't require anything in the way that questions do. And they allow you to respond in a much more flexible way, whereas a question has a very clear target. And that is one reason that questions are phenomenal at communicating and offering up new information in conversations or any other form of dialogue. And if an adult offers me advice or anecdotes about their experiences post-grad, then I feel, one, that I might learn something from their experience, and two, that they aren't personally judging me, but rather they are offering vulnerabilities from their past instead of asking essentially, hey, would you be vulnerable with me for a minute and tell me about your aspirations and everything you're hoping to do with the past 10 plus years of your education? Because I'd love to know. And that may sound humorous to some, but that is what it feels like to be asked that question for me, at least, especially when it involves someone in education or someone who has known me for a long period of time. I feel as though they expect a great answer. And I'll be honest, my answer needs to satisfy me and me alone. And I genuinely feel that way. And I don't think as a society, we are comfortable with that idea. The conversation has to please both parties. And that's something that bothers me personally. 
I think it's very interesting that you brought up advice and I had never really thought of that before. I think that something could be gained from having that sort of conversation with the aim being to provide assistance almost. So instead of saying something like, what are you going to do next year? Maybe saying, this is what I do. And is there any way that what I do could help you with what you're doing or trying to do? Because I feel as though a lot of the time when people our age have questions or we feel vulnerable, we tend to hold back and we don't necessarily ask them, which can be a huge loss on our parts because the people that are asking us these questions are the people who have experience and they could totally have insight on all the stuff that we are questioning about our lives and we just haven't tapped into it yet. And another aspect that I think both of us are alluding to and sort of skirting around is how deeply personal it is. And I'd like to throw out a hypothetical and ask if your mother perhaps knew everything you could say or would say in response to that question, would you feel more comfortable if she as a third party answered these people asking that question for you? Or do you feel like the experience of answering it yourself is just as uncomfortable as having that information out there? Are those two different things to you? I think the only gain from that would be that if the conversation between my mother and someone else went poorly, she could just not tell me or just censor the conversation so that any parts of it that would be uncomfortable or make me feel bad for myself, whatever, wouldn't have to be told to me to any extent. But I think there's also a lot to be gained from having that sort of conversation yourself with someone where you're asking for advice and you're being vulnerable and you're kind of getting to these questions that we kind of try to avoid on our own. And that's why we dislike them. And one thing that I consider in terms of that vulnerability, it is an aspect of small talk, I feel. But one reason I think the question might be prominent for authority figures in particular is that you might feel more comfortable asking someone who hasn't accomplished much yet, whereas you have in asking that question, hearing about their experiences and not reveling in their lack of success. But comparatively, I do think we tend to say in our heads, right, they haven't caught up to me yet. And so I'm doing well with my family and jobs that I'm working and they will follow in my footsteps. And it's a way of feeling good about where you are at age 40, perhaps. And so I want to know to what extent you feel it's a question that is based around age for us, or if it's simply the period of time in our lives at which we find this question most prominent. I don't think it necessarily has to do with age in the sense that we're seniors in college and we're all around 21, 22, but more the seniors in college part because there's obviously students who are older or younger or in a similar position. But I think the question is specific to this time in our lives, though, because we're now considered adults in almost every legal way. We now can legally drink. We now can do everything basically except for, I think, rent a hotel room or a car in certain states. You have to be 24 to do those things. But basically, on all other aspects, we're considered to be adults. A lot of us will be on our own once we graduate. We will no longer have our parents' financial help with housing and whatever. And I think that's where the question stems from. That's its root, is that now we're no longer children to the adults who are asking these questions. Now we're seen as something bigger and we're going off and doing our own things, or at least that's what we're expected to do. 
One thing specifically that I've noticed whenever someone has asked me the question of what are you doing next year or what are your plans for next year is that no matter who it is, I have this weird desire to impress them with my answer. So even if I'm talking to someone who I've known since I was seven and maybe this is my first time seeing them since the summer or a few weeks ago, if they ask me this question, no matter what, I feel like I have to respond with something that is in some way really cool or interesting or impressive, which is kind of unexpected because in other aspects of my life, I don't feel like I try to really impress anyone, or at least I don't think I go to extremes to impress people. But this is one situation where no matter who it is, I feel like I need to kind of show off. And I was wondering if you felt a similar thing when you get asked. I think that's a great question. And to try and unpack it, I do on many levels feel that is the case. Of course, you and I, as we have not yet stated, both come from Wellesley, Wellesley, Massachusetts, which is an affluent community. And to me, that ties into the need to impress. I think on some level, one, many of the adults asking me are people who are very financially and otherwise successful. And so I feel inherently compared to them. Secondly, I'm aware of how much my education cost my parents and my family overall, and on many levels, I feel a need to validate that expense and prove that it was worth that money that was spent on me and that time that was invested in me as a person, because if I come out the other end and I'm a failure in the eyes of others, on some level, I would feel shame for that. But I also think that is problematic at this period in our lives because we are independent and should be independent. And that means both in success and failure, you need to pursue what you find meaningful. And I think that this question often takes us away from that, which I regret because I want to remain steady on my path of pursuing what I find meaningful because I think that's part of life. Exactly. And I think that's kind of what makes the question and the conversation that comes afterward so toxic in a lot of ways is because the person who is asking the question is not trying to put the person they are asking it to into an uncomfortable position. But oftentimes I feel like I'm being judged no matter what I say. And then that just becomes this weird situation where I feel a lot of pressure. I feel like I have to put on a show kind of. And the person asking me probably just wants some sort of generic answer, but then they might have to, depending on what I say, react to it in a certain way, or they might be judging me and be saying, oh, well, I thought she was doing this thing, but now she's changed her mind. Hmm, That's interesting. And it just creates this whole toxic situation where really it's just a very simple question. And it's curious that for all the maturity and wisdom and insight that you are supposed to gain with adulthood, that these adults are still asking a question which is so inherently loaded and so likely, I would say, 99 times out of 100 to make the recipient uncomfortable or doubtful or in some way self-conscious of their response or even the conversation that follows, as you said. And I would even push you on that and say, is it really a conversation? I feel like it becomes a monologue that is observed by a one-person or two-person audience because we don't often get the chance as seniors, nearly post-grads, to ask similar questions. And I find that is maybe the reason the question is so prominent because this is the last period before adulthood where someone can ask us what is meant to be a grandiose question. But in reality, it's one of the last periods that people get to ask from a position of power, I would argue, a question that 
that is aimed to get a lot of personal information out of someone because I, again, believe we don't have that many personal conversations in adulthood, at least culturally in America. I don't think it's something that you can expect on a typical day. And so I think that's why the question is so appealing to those who ask it. But I'd be curious to know on your end why you think people ask it so frequently, despite its clear, fraught connotations. I've put a lot of thought to this, and I think the first and most prominent reason for people asking, what are you doing next year, is simply small talk. They want to ask you how your life's going, and they don't know specifics, so that's the only thing they can come up with. And the second kind of thing that I think feeds into it is they want to kind of gauge where you are. And this might make me sound a little bit cynical, but I think that a lot of it is... I want to know who is aspiring to be a doctor. I want to know who's aspiring to be a lawyer. And then I want to know who's aspiring to be a janitor. Obviously, those are very different ends of the spectrum. And I think people are just kind of nosy and they want to know people's business and where they're headed in life. And it's just a matter of judging how successful they're going to be based on their standards. I think even there you bring up something interesting in talking about the different types of jobs that people might aspire towards, be it custodian or lawyer or doctor, because there is clear, as I think your answer implies, whether you meant it or not, association with various jobs, negative, positive. People don't say, and I wish they would, oh, you're working. Great. Good for you. That's fantastic. There are many people who either can't work or do not work. And the fact that you will get up every day and go to a job that is meaningful to you or you're doing it simply to put food on the table, good for you for working. But of course, the conversation never goes that way. And we have to attach values to the jobs that people will hold after college, which is also to me a curious topic because most people don't enter into their final job when they graduate college and people will shift around and take new career paths or turn around completely and choose to do something else. And so the answer you give before you graduate college might mean nothing in the greater context of your life. And I feel like the conversations that this question promotes don't often lead us to remember that. And I think it's also kind of ironic because in terms of the jobs people aspire to have, on one end, we're constantly told, do what makes you happy, and then the money will come afterwards. But then on the other end, it's kind of looked down upon to be a certain major that is maybe associated with having a different caliber of job than some other major. It's kind of, again, this toxic situation of, Am I supposed to do what you're telling me and major in something that's going to make me happy? Or am I supposed to try to get that job that has a really high paycheck, but isn't necessarily exactly what I want to do, but I'd be good at it? And it just starts that whole dialogue in your head of, oh, gosh, did I major in the wrong thing? Am I in the completely wrong field? Should I have done the major that I really wanted to, but I didn't end up doing that because I thought I wouldn't be able to make any money or vice versa? Right. And I feel that the question often leads to narrow conversations because of that. In my experience, unless the person I'm speaking with knows about my passion or my intended career path, they won't know what to ask or what to say in relation to it. And so the conversation becomes very mundane and redundant. I, for example, would love to pursue podcasting and radio as a career. 
but one, I know there isn't a lot of money in it, which people are very quick to remind me of, and two, I know that not many people know about it, and so those conversations, instead of being ones of curiosity, become those of judgment and oh, well, couldn't you have maybe picked something a bit more stable or likely to pay the bills? And at that point, I am essentially done with those conversations because I don't need their approval. And those conversations often make me doubt whether I do or not. And the word approval that you used is very telling, I think, because the fact that that would even be a thought in our minds that we have to present ourselves in a certain way that this adult who's asking me this question approves of what I'm doing is kind of horrible if you think about it, because what does my life have to do with their life? It has no effect on each other unless it's an immediate family member. But even then, whatever career I decide to pursue has no effect on whatever career that person has. Or if I decide to do something that they could never imagine doing it in a million years, again, it has literally nothing to do with them. And one final aspect of this that I would like to tackle with you is the conception, and I would argue the illusion that is created, that we are supposed to have this figured out. And I think on some level, we have this belief that friends of ours in business school, for example, know what they're doing and have everything all planned out. And I'd like to ask you if this question were asked less frequently, or if maybe we all answered more honestly, if that conception would go away. Because to be honest with you, studies have shown that many seniors graduating college do not know what they're doing or don't have a job lined up. And I want to know what you think could be done either to remedy our concerns that we're the only ones who don't have it figured out, or just in general to alleviate some of the tension that is brought up with questions like this. I think the topic we kind of covered earlier, which was the advice being given by those who are asking these questions to us, is really important here. So maybe if the question was, instead of, what are you doing next year? It was, what are you doing next year? Maybe I can help. I know you're in this field. I know a bunch of people. Or if you don't know a bunch of people, it could just be a simple, oh, tell me about what you're interested in. Instead of saying, what are you doing next year? Say, oh, what are you interested in doing in the future? Is there anything that you're particularly jiving on right now? For me, that's research. And I don't know if I'm specifically going to be doing research in the near future, but that's something that I'm interested in and I'm looking into. So when someone asks me that question, my answer is, I don't really know, but I'm interested in. So I kind of default to answering the question I just made. So one thing that I have started to do to kind of alleviate the stress of being asked this question is I try to come up with the most unexpected offhand response when people first ask me, what are you doing next year? Or what are your plans for next year? So my favorite is when someone asks me, what are you doing next year? I like to say that I'm opening a cereal food truck with my friends from school and we're going to travel across the country in our cereal food truck and stop at universities. And then I say, no, I'm just kidding. That would be awesome. We would have different flavored milks and different cereals and stuff like that. But what I'm actually doing is this other thing. So I guess my question to you is... Do you, A, have any other funny occupations that you could share? Or is there any way that you similarly deflect the question and try to make it less stressful for yourself to answer? I hadn't really thought about some of those alternatives when being asked that question, because as much as I use humor in other areas of my life, admittedly, 
rarely, if ever, on this podcast, but that might be the one question for which humorous responses in my head do not see the light of day, and I will take it very seriously, which intrigues me now that I reflect upon it, maybe because I think it's an adult conversation that people might be offended if you tell a joke, or might take the wrong way, or in some cases might think this individual isn't taking his future very seriously because he's making a joke about it, in which case I would disagree, but my hesitation to tell any jokes in those situations says something I'm sure about my insecurity of either the future or talking about my future. So as boring as it might seem, I don't have any funny alternatives that I've shared with people, which makes me a little bit disappointed after hearing yours, and I urge you to continue doing that because I think that's fantastic, but I don't have many funny alternatives or I haven't thought of any, and perhaps that would be a good challenge for me to consider. So before we close the episode, what are some things you would like our audience to consider after hearing this conversation? I think the most important thing that could be taken away from this episode is really just try not to take this question too seriously. I think a lot of the times, me personally as a student, I get wrapped up in trying to answer it. Even as we're talking about it now, I'm kind of reeling thinking of all the things that I've told people that I'm interested in or going to do that might not have actually fallen into place or may have fallen into place. Overall, the most important thing is don't take it too seriously. And if you can avoid asking that question, avoid asking the question. I agree. I would leave the audience with similar thoughts, albeit a bit more harsh, perhaps. I would say to those asking the question or planning to ask the question, stated very clearly, stop asking that question. Because those who have plans that they are interested in discussing with you will, I assure you, bring up those plans and have a conversation with you about them. And for those who aren't openly discussing these things with you, there is a reason, and that is quite possibly very rational anxiety that they don't want to experience and drag themselves through every time that question comes up in conversation. So seriously, unless you have advice that we talked about earlier or professional contacts or any means of assisting that individual, stop asking them because graduating college is stressful enough and filled with all kinds of nostalgia and emotions and at the risk again of sounding harsh, it's just not worth it. And I don't think the outcome as adult or sincere as it may seem is worth it. But I don't mean to sound insensitive. In fact, that response is intended out of sensitivity for people in our situation, Yara, and various others listening and millions of college students everywhere who will someday graduate. But Yara, thank you very much for coming on. It was great to have you. Thank you for having me. Of course, we want this to be a conversation among, not simply a conversation between. So if you have any thoughts, comments, concerns, or anything you'd like to share, please feel free to reach out to us. You can contact us via Twitter or Facebook. Our email is strideandsaunter at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider reviewing it on iTunes and sharing it with friends you think might also enjoy it. And as always, thank you very much for listening. And from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark signing off. <laughs>